covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for taking some time listening to the podcast, whether it's the first time you've listened or you listen on an every week basis. We certainly do appreciate it. We got a lot to get to this week. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. First off, the normal formalities to take care of here at the front end of the podcast. First off, if uh, you would like to do so, if you happen to listen to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, whatever it might be, and you want to leave a uh, ranking and a review, that would be great. Those help uh, us move up the list, and more and more folks are able to find the podcast, so that's always helpful. Next off, if you want to get in contact with me, whether you just have something for me, if you've got uh, a response to something we're talking about, uh, a more direct response to uh, something, whatever it might be, uh, you can uh, always get at me via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also email me, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. On the program this week, during our social media conversation, we'll have uh, Adam Rigg of the Brewer Nation. He's coming up here in just a little bit. And we will also be joined by Wisconsin Timber Rattlers broadcaster Chris Marin to get an update on the Brewers affiliate in the Midwest League. We record this on Sunday night. That's always just a reminder for you. I know people listen to it throughout the course of the week and just know where our perspective is as you're listening. The information that we are talking about is current as of Sunday. It is currently 11.03 p.m. as I am recording this part of the podcast. Got to start out with the performance of Freddie Peralta. And Sunday was just a good day. Sunday, if you're a baseball fan, and you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. Sunday was just a good day to be a baseball fan, good day uh, to be somebody who is a fan of the Brewers, watches the Brewers, whatever it might be. Freddie Peralta, in his Major League debut, with his parents watching, goes out and collects 13 strikeouts. Most strikeouts in Brewers history for a pitcher making their debut. Even further, he is just the fifth pitcher since 1908 to get 13-plus strikeouts in his Major League debut. Uh, Steven Strasburg had 14 in 2010. Prior to that, no one had done it uh, since 1971. It's seemingly done about every 20 years. So it's a very, very rare feat. But everything that went along with it and just the way that the puzzle came together to create just an amazing moment. Chase Anderson gets sick, and it's a bummer for him. He's on the disabled list right now. He gets sick. Brent Suter gets bumped up a day. They had an opening. They were in Denver. Their AAA affiliate is just down the road in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah, by the way, his parents and his girlfriend, who have never seen him pitch professionally, his parents live in the Dominican Republic. They have never seen him pitch professionally, They were in Colorado Springs to watch him pitch professionally for the first time ever. They're in Colorado Springs, and all of a sudden, he's not out there warming up. And they quickly learn that he's going to be making his Major League debut a day later. And in the United States, from the Dominican, they get to go to Denver with him and watch his Major League debut. I mean, it was just perfect. And 
his dad was so emotional. Everybody was emotional. And he was just so much fun to watch. And the smile that he had on his face, everything was just absolutely perfect on Sunday afternoon. And it's just one of those, look, I'm I'm somebody that baseball is, is it's my career basically. I've got uh, I've, I've been around baseball in a professional standpoint for a long long time now, first working in the minor leagues and now working around the Brewers and doing the post game show on WTMJ radio. And it's it's moments like these that you just you, you kind of fall in love with the game once again. And it was what a great what a great Sunday afternoon. I don't know what's going to happen with him moving forward. He's going to get at least one more start. Uh, if he continues to pitch well, you would think he would stay in the rotation. At some point, he's going to hit a bump in the road, and I guess we'll see what else is going on with guys getting healthy and everything to see what that looks like and whether or not he's going to be able to stick around. But what a debut. And a guy who is a top-10 prospect in the organization, when, when David Stearns elected not to sign you Darvish, Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, Andrew Kashner. When when those guys were not signed, you, you had to think that there was this internal confidence that some of the guys who were knocking on the door were going to be able to make an impact. And not an impact next year, not an impact two years from now, but an impact this year. And I don't know how long Freddie Peralta is going to be on the Brewers roster. Again, he's going to He'll have some up moments. He'll have some down moments. There's no way uh, he continues to pitch the way he pitched on Sunday every single time out. It just doesn't work that way. Film will get out on him. The league will figure him out. They'll make adjustments to him. He'll have to make adjustments back. That's the way things work out. But this is a guy who, in his first outing, certainly seems like somebody who could be a big part of this team this year and just continues to show uh, what this what this organization has been trying to do from a player development standpoint? Don't want to make too much out of one single start. I really want to, you know, put it in a in a filter and just and just look at it individually for how cool it was. But you can't help but take a step back a little bit and wonder what kind of impact he is going to make on this team this year. Again, on the podcast this week, Adam Rigg, the Brewer Nation. He's going to join us in just a few moments. We'll also uh, be joined by Chris Marion, the voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. But first, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. So this week's Headlines of the Week, uh, let's, let's just go through the transactions from the past week and the way everything went down because the roster has been in an absolute state of flux. So no game this past Monday. Then going into Tuesday, got some bad news about catcher Steven Vogt. His uh, shoulder, uh, it's it's not good. And he, in all likelihood, he's going to have to need surgery. As I've, I haven't seen an official confirmation of that. Uh, he was actually very emotional talking about it. But Stephen Vogt was transferred to the 60-day disabled list, so he does not count against the 40-man roster. The Brewers then send shortstop Eric Sogard to the Sky Sox. That was after a weekend where he got multiple starts. They tried to get him going, and they just weren't able to. So hopefully he can find his swing at Colorado Springs. That's a good place to find your swing. And then the team selects the contract 
of second baseman Nick Franklin from Biloxi. He was at Biloxi because he was learning how to catch. Uh, he's a guy who had a really good spring. So that's Tuesday. Then you go into Wednesday. The team activates Corey Knable, and they also send Jorge Lopez back down to Colorado Springs. Next day, that would be, what, Friday? So Friday, they send Brett Phillips back to Colorado Springs. They bring bring up Brandon Woodruff to join the rotation. Then on Saturday, they transfer Wade Miley from the 10-day disabled list to the 60-day disabled list with that oblique strain. The original prognosis was four to six weeks. Now he's going to be out at least eight weeks. They send Jacob Barnes down to Colorado Springs, and they purchase the contract of Alec Asher, who they had acquired from uh, off waivers from the Dodgers, and then they placed off waivers. He didn't get claimed. He was able to be uh, put back into the organization, but now on the 40-man roster, then his contract gets selected. So then we move forward to Saturday. That's the day that uh, Chase Anderson goes on the disabled list. He's got a stomach bug that's just really, really a bad deal. So he's going to be out until the next homestand. Alec Asher, who had a scoreless outing for the Brewers, but they were playing in Colorado and they needed arms, they sent him back to Colorado Springs. They called up Freddie Peralta, which we've obviously talked about already on the program, and they also bring back Jorge Lopez. They were able to bring back Jorge Lopez as he takes the spot on the roster of Chase Anderson, who went to the disabled list you can bring players back up immediately from the minor leagues when they are replacing an injured player when there's no injury they have to stay down in the minor leagues for a certain amount of time so that was that was the week and we don't even include uh, Zach Davies in there as well Zach Davies on the disabled list he's dealing with a uh, shoulder issue right now and uh, he threw from flat ground for a second straight day on Sunday. However, the team still doesn't know when he's going to be able to get up and uh, throw from a mound. And if this goes on much longer, he might be out long enough that he would need a uh, rehab assignment. Also, a minor league injury that's worth noting, uh, catcher Jacob Nottingham, who made his big league debut earlier this year. He has an uh, intercoastal muscle strain in his uh, rib cage, and he is on the Sky Sox disabled list, and there's no real timetable on when he might be able to come back. So those are your headlines of the week. Obviously, the biggest headline was uh, what we talked about in our first segment with Freddie Peralta getting called up and uh, his performance. Uh, but, uh, but outside of that, just a ton of moving parts. And the fact that this team is has has as many wins as anybody in the National League and is in first place in the NL Central, dealing with everything that they've been dealing with, it's, it's pretty darn impressive. So again, those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. Very happy to uh, welcome back onto the program a very frequent guest slash contributor to the podcast. He is uh, Adam Rigg, also known as the Brewer Nation. Adam, it is always great to talk to you. This is going to be a fun conversation considering uh, what happened earlier today. We're uh, recording on Sunday night. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. And yeah, it's it's funny. You reached out on Saturday uh, to see if I would be able to come on. This was before, I think, before we knew uh, that Freddie Peralta was in the mix. I think it was uh, either before or during the game on Saturday. And 
uh, I was wondering what would be the special event that we got to talk about today. And, you know, the, the baseball gods smiled upon us and uh, gave us something good to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you talk special event. With, with all due respect to other special events that we've seen happen with the Brewers, we have a guy going out and setting a new Brewers record for most strikeouts in their debut as Freddie Peralta uh, gets 13 strikeouts. He's one of just a handful of guys who have done that in all of Major League Baseball uh, since uh, since the early 1900s. Can can you just what what does that start for for Freddie Peralta mean to you? Uh, well, <clears throat> I, I look at everything two ways these days um, as a Brewers fan, and then I also try to put on my analyst cap and uh, try to think about things more of a level-headed way. Uh, so let me do the boring side first. <laughs> as a, with the analytics cap on, it's it's everything that Freddie Peralta was kind of advertised to be and, and talked about being. Um, filled the zone with strikes, but guys were missing all the time. Uh, he generated, what was, I think, 16 or 18 uh, swings and misses during the course of his five and two-thirds, which is just it's a super high number. Um, if you're into those kind of statistics, you know what kind of, you know, where that falls on the spectrum, so to speak. But he's he's a, a, so easy to dream on with the top of this Brewers prospect group. You know, you, you hear David Stern say things in the off season like he doesn't want to block, you know, the pitching that they have coming by locking into a Jake Arrieta or a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb or whomever for six or seven years. You know, he was very hesitant to sign one of those guys for the long-term deal that they wanted, at least when the, the season started or the offseason started. We know Lance Lynn signed a one-year deal, et cetera, et cetera. But a guy like Freddie Peralta is exactly why David Stearns is so confident in the group of, you know, players and prospects that he's built. And it's why he's so willing to, I think, <clears throat> wait out those guys being able to come up and, and make their debuts and, and, and see what they have and, and really uh, mature and grow into the pitchers that hopefully they can be, hopefully they can realize their potential. You know, you get a guy like Freddie Peralta in particular who they acquired him when he was a teenager in, in I think, low A ball for the Seattle Mariners, uh, just scratching the outside of their, the outside ranges of their top 30 prospects in what at the time was considered a very weak system uh, by most major publications that do that kind of thing back in 2015. And, David Stern says, I want him and these other two guys for the, in this Adam Lynn deal. Uh, I'll take some quantity over quality, you know, so to speak. He didn't say that, of course, but that's the general consensus at the time. Well, it's always, you know, he's taking three lottery tickets and, and who knows. And sure enough, David Stern's eye for talent has reaped benefits again, apparently. Um, but as, as a fan, let me just say how sweet and awesome and cool and all those other words you want to use to describe that outing from Freddie Peralta. You look at this kid, 13 strikeouts in, in five and two-thirds, and yeah, his pitch count got up there, of course, but uh, just, whoa, these are professional hitters, really at least on paper, uh, you know, in seasons past, a really strong offensive ball club in Colorado. Uh, um, scuffling a little bit this year to, to drive in runs, but still, Trevor Story, Carlos Gonzalez, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, DJ LeMahieu, who's won a batting title. Uh, these guys know how to put bat on ball, and they were just looking like they had been playing with in Double A with Freddie Peralta. They they looked really really bad at times at the plate, and it's just it's one of those things that as a fan it makes you smile, 
and really hopefully gives you a sense of what is to possibly come out of this group of prospects and hopefully you know reach the promised land one day of appearing in and hopefully winning a world series wisconsin timber rattlers broadcaster chris marion is my guest in our next segment when we go down on the farm as i'm talking to you right now i've already recorded that interview and he made the comment to me uh that that you know that's pretty incredible he was a timber rattler basically two years ago and you know, we, we've talked so much about him being a Carolina Mudcat exactly 12 months ago. Here's a guy who we generally don't see guys make it from Appleton to Milwaukee in the course of basically two years. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned we got him, or the Brewers got him at 19. He's 21 years old now. And it's just most players need that development time in the minor leagues as anybody probably listening to a baseball podcast knows you can't normally just cruise through level after level and just overwhelm everybody and pitching at altitude has been a little bit of a an issue i guess for freddie peralta this season with colorado springs but he handled his business it was the, the, they said that i think it was adam mccalvey of mlb.com brewers.com who said on twitter that they may tweak a little bit of these numbers after the system learns Freddie Peralta better, but that he, at least initially, had a 91% usage of his fastball uh, in this first outing. And as we all know, it's the breaking stuff that tends to struggle at altitude. So he was just spotting fastballs all over the place with some run, with some cut, with some sink, um, just doing this thing all over the zone, outside of the zone, getting guys to chase. Uh, just He has done this at every level, though, and, and that's the amazing part, like you were mentioning. You know, Ryan Braun drafted in 2005 and appeared in the big leagues in 2007. That's the fastest guy on record that I can remember in the last, uh, you know, decade plus that made his major Ricky Weeks notwithstanding. He kind of came up later the same season, but that was a contract thing anyway. Um, but very few people debut in the big leagues this quickly and with this much aplomb and with this much hype. Uh, behind him, the the Brewers prospect community is really high in Freddie Peralta, and he shows you why. Just the, the pure stuff that he seems to have, his delivery, his mix. Uh, it's like I said before, it's easy to dream on a guy like this, and you can see. And it's only one start, but it is again against Colorado in Colorado, against some of those very very good hitters um, that he was able to, to put together this. And it's just it is one start, but it's very uh, encouraging. You want to see what he does next time, of course, but you see the reasons why he was able to get to Milwaukee as quickly as he did. One area to potentially just you know kind of pump the brakes and not a not a hard stop, but just a, a little bit of a pump. He's going to have bad days. Every pitcher has bad days. He's not going to go out and take a no hitter into the sixth inning and strike out thirteen guys every single time out. But Adam, would you say that you know right now? You've got three starters who are on the disabled list. You got another starter in Brent Suter who can be moved to the bullpen, probably will be moved to the bullpen when they have a a full group of starters available. Would you say that if he continues to pitch at a somewhat high level, that at this point he's here and you gotta give him an opportunity to continue to sit in that rotation? Yeah, I mean he doesn't have a lot of innings at triple A, of course. Um, and I guess you'd like to see him prove himself more. But if he's able to do that 
at the big league level, then there's really nothing to prove at AAA. You know, you have to get through the league once, and you have to see the opponents at another time. But on this game, this day, for Freddy Peralta, first time through the lineup, he looked great. People were late on his 91, 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, they were swinging at stuff that just they seemed to think it would be in one spot, and it was four or five inches away. Uh, he looked really good. And the second time through, you're like, okay, let's pay attention, see how guys adjust. And he's, again, you know, he strikes out the three, four, five hitters in their lineup, one, two, three, uh, and just kind of keeps going through the motions and looks really, really strong. So, again, if, if he's able to do it at the big league level, that's fantastic. Um, Craig Council said, of course, after the game that, yes, uh, he's pretty sure that he said it with a chuckle, of course, but. He's pretty sure that they can find another start for him um, based on how magnificent he was, was the word that Council used. But at the end of the day, this is a young kid. He does have some stuff to prove. He does have some things that he can continue to work on, continue his, his development. But as Council, as pitching coach Derek Johnson, as all these guys will tell you, development doesn't stop when you reach the big leagues anyway. So, again, like you said, if he's able to continue at a reasonably high level, not get himself into a situation where he is overmatched at any point because you don't want to hurt his confidence and you don't want to sabotage some of the things that you're doing um, and some of the ways he's been developing. But if you can do that at this level, then all the more power to him. Let's let's move on. I mean, we could spend two hours probably talking about him and talking about the day he had and all the different aspects of it with the family and everything, but uh, we will move on. And uh, the offense... It had an okay day on Sunday, scoring the seven runs. It still went, I think, three for 17 with runners in scoring position. Uh, shut out on, on Saturday. The, the offense has come alive a little bit recently, uh, but it also has some bad days. Uh, where, where are you at on this team offensively? Is it? Uh, do, do you have confidence that they're still going to come together and be a good offensive club? Are you concerned about the inconsistency? Uh, um. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the inconsistency. It, it's certainly something that I'm I'm noticing and that I'm aware of, I guess. But I'm also aware of how little time the whole group has had together, healthy, <laughs> um, and how little time they've they've really been able to run the same lineup out there if they if they want to, you know, for four or five days in a row. You know, Ryan Braun's missed some time, of course, and he does have to nurse uh, the injury bug a little bit to keep himself as healthy as possible. But, you know, Kane missed a couple of days. Yelich has been on the DL. Thames is now on the DL for an extended period of time. Manny Pena started the season hurt. Um, you know, you, you've got, or more or less, so you've got uh, all this, all these, these hitters that they put together some really strong performances last year. Um, you know, and the other missing guys like Keon Broxton, who carried the club a couple of times, you know, when he got hot over the course of 2017, and Thames didn't have the monster April like he did a year ago. And you add in Yelich and Kane, these are guys that you expect to elevate everybody. And I think that this team will find its rhythm, um, be a little bit more consistent. You kind of expect, at least I kind of expected, guys on base all day, so to speak, where the on base percentages, the career on base percentages of these players, was really eye-popping and you know it was to a degree where you, you figure that 
there's always going to be traffic and always going to be pressure put on the opposing pitchers. And even, in, to be fair, in the game that they were shut out on Saturday, they had runners in scoring position a lot. It was just on that day they couldn't get the consecutive hits to continue to bring those guys in. And uh, after the game, of course, they also said, you know, players from both sides said Jesus Aguilar's long foul ball should have been a home run. So maybe it wouldn't have been a shutout, but I digress. People worry too much about the fact that they have eight shutouts already, I think. Um, some of that's a product of who they're facing. They have four shutouts against uh, left-handed starting pitchers, um, where they're just not seeing the ball as well, I guess, uh, on certain days. They have had guys, I said, like I said, miss time. But I really think that this team, there's too much good talent. Domingo Santana's finally starting to hit um, as he overcomes a very slow start to his season. As another example, but there's just too much offensive talent on this team, I think, to stay as inconsistent as it has been over the course of the first six weeks. At second base, it was last weekend that Eric Sogard was given an opportunity, and he didn't do much with it and ends up at AAA. Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of Jonathan VR. Uh, Aaron Perez got some starts there, had some nice days at the plate, had a three RBI day, if I remember correctly, early on in the Colorado series. That may have been that comeback win. Uh, Tyler Saldino, he's he's done a nice job when he's got an opportunity. Where are you at right now with the Brewers' second base spot? Uh, I don't understand some of it. I, I don't understand why Jonathan VR is not playing more. It certainly feels like there's something there that they're just handling in-house and that's pure speculation on my part you know they, they don't uh they don't lean that direction council and stearns have had the same response when uh, have they've been asked about that position um but you know jonathan vr has had a lot of opportunities and made some mental mistakes during the course of the season as we've seen, for those of us that watch as many games as you and I do, uh, which for us is all of them, um, but we, we've seen him struggle to do the routine and make make it routine, you know, make the, the easy stuff routine. So um, hopefully, you know, with a start today, he had um, on the homestand, that's kind of, I don't know if it came out of nowhere, but it was also right after they called up Nick Franklin, and Nick Franklin got hurt, and before Saladino got into town, so maybe that was just a matter of circumstance. But uh, I think VR has hit pretty well this season, um, defended okay. And from there, you know, you would think that if he's able to hit his stride offensively, it makes the, the lineup that much more dynamic because uh, bottom line, Saladino hits right-handed only. Perez hits right-handed only. Um, you have a guy in VR that switch hits when he's right. You know, he can give you that platoon advantage every time. But Perez is the is a steady defender, and he can get hot in bunches as well. He's um, uh, the type of guy, not exactly as explosive as Keon Broxton can be at the plate, but Perez has had his fair share of streaks. And then the Saladino kid, I guess his reputation is that he's kind of a, a glove wizard, is what uh, I was told on social media. Um, but he's, like you said, kind of coming through here. He's had a couple of clutch hits, and... Uh, playing the part so far that uh, he may end up with a couple more starts here. I think we can both agree that Ryan Braun has earned and is going to re receive a, a very long leash because of what he's done. And that's, that's, that's great. He deserves it. He's one of the top players in, in franchise history. That being said, 
his moments this year have been his clutch moments at the end of games with uh, driving in game-winning runs. Outside of those scenarios, he has not done a whole lot. Sunday, 0 for 5, four strikeouts. He looked bad on some of those strike three swings. It looked did not look good. Looks almost lost out there. He's hitting 222. There's a lot of people out there asking the question: At what point do you move him out of the three spot? Again, I don't think I don't think we're anywhere near that. But how much longer would Ryan Braun have to struggle the way he's struggling right now for you to start considering that question? Uh, I, these are the types of questions where I'm really glad that I don't <laughs> fill out the lineup and I don't, uh, I'm not in charge of those kind of decisions because like you said, the, the, the fan in me knows what Ryan Braun has done, knows how effective he has been and can be in that three spot. It's theoretically, uh, the best spot for him to be, uh, to help him see pitches and get stuff to drive. And just so we're, you know, properly playing all sides of the coin here, Braun has really struck the ball hard a lot, like he did last year. He had such bad balls, you know, batted ball luck last year that he was he was very frustrated. Uh, I think it was mid to late May uh, is when he first started really talking about it after a ball game uh, because he ended up having a really good game that uh, he was able to talk a little bit more about how frustrated he had felt. Uh, constantly putting good swings on the ball. I think last year the, the the key number was that he had his highest career exit velocity uh, on the balls that he put in play. Like he was just absolutely hammering baseballs and had very little to show for it. And it's not as consistent this year. You mentioned today's game. Uh, he has historically bad numbers against John Gray um, in his career, so kind of a bad matchup for him too. Uh, you know, Gray did strike out ten of his own uh, today. Granted, he gave up ten hits, but you know. Some of the, I think three of the strikeouts for Braun were, were from John Gray. Uh, so he's not the same type of player anymore, especially with the nagging injuries that we mentioned before, where he can just will himself to overcome uh, when he's at a disadvantage, I think. Um, so I think if Council can do more about making Braun's days off, not necessarily the day game after a night game, but more about when it's better for Braun to not face a certain pitcher, uh, for example, that may go more, that may go farther in, in getting Braun a little bit more success, and of course with success breeds confidence, not that Braun lacks for confidence, we, we've, we've all talked to him before and we know how confident he is in, in himself as a hitter, and that if he's healthy, he will succeed, That that's his mantra. So you know that this the calf has been bothering him and they're trying to fight through it. And, and you know that his, uh, he ices his back, you know, it's for maintenance purposes, um, almost, I think, every single day, just in, in preparation for the games. So he's got a lot of physical maintenance that he has to do. That's a, a very roundabout way of saying, I don't know, <laughs> because uh, when he's right, when he's hitting, and the potential, every single time he steps into the box, uh, again, maybe not against John Gray, maybe not against Adam Adovino in this series, um, maybe not against Octavio Dotel back in the day, uh, which was his kryptonite uh, in that 2011 season. Um, not every single pitcher, of course, but you don't want to wish that you had Ryan Braun in a spot when somebody else doesn't come through because Braun is able and has shown the ability to come through time after time after time. And he has had a clutch gene this year. 
late in games, um, sometimes a couple of times during the games, you know, clutch hit here, clutch home run here, driving in a run. Um, and that's a, that's a wax to fanboy about it all, but he really does, as you mentioned, kind of deserve that opportunity in that respect. But, you know, if he's still hitting around 200, maybe say mid June, end of June, um, I will be surprised if council has not already thought about it long and hard by that point. It's funny because we've spent some time talking about the offense struggling and specifically on Ryan Braun and the, the, the bullpen has been amazing and we can talk about that, but starting pitching has been okay. It's certainly been injured. All three of the, there's three starting pitchers on the disabled list right now. The offense can do a lot more than it's been doing. Yet here's a team that's got a pretty nice record. And as we talk on Sunday night, they're alone in first place in the National League Central, one of the best divisions in, in baseball. It, it's funny how, how much better maybe this team could be, yet how they're still continuing to find ways to win games. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that <clears throat> you can look at a lot of different spots in the season already and say, well, there were a couple of times they got lucky and won, you know, with a, a Ryan Braun home run in San Diego, for example. Um, but there's a lot of times where they were unable to uh, answer the bell, so to speak. And they're still in the position that they're in. Like you said, first place uh, was 20, how many wins? 27 now. Um whatever the number is, uh, I forgot off the top of my head, and I feel dumb that I don't have that at the, the forefront of my tongue. But wherever they're at, uh, record-wise, wherever they're at, you know, streak-wise, they, they had that eight-game run before dropping those four in Chicago and then coming right back and, and winning a few more uh, in Cincinnati and, and on uh, that little stretch of games. But this team has been – there's no quit. Uh, you know, they, they fight to the absolute last out. And between the bullpen and, like you said, all the the issues they've had in, in, this, in the rotation, losing Corey Knable to injury, um, they've really been in a spot. And they're still, I think, on pace right now to win 95 games, 95-plus, uh, you know, of course, if this extrapolated out to the rest of the season. So they really are in a strong position. And hopefully, fingers crossed as a fan, they can only improve this situation as guys finally do get healthy. Brewers are 24 and 17, half game lead on Cardinals and the Pirates. Uh, the Diamondbacks also have 24 wins, although they're 24 and 15. They are currently tied with the Braves for the best record in all of the National League. And I, I kind of believe in the Braves, but when I look at the Braves and I look at the Diamondbacks, uh, my first reaction is that the Diamondbacks are a better team. How much uh, the the Brewers have? played some of the better teams they've also played some of the lesser teams have had success uh, as we talk on Sunday night they're getting set for a three-game series in Arizona against the Diamondbacks how much do we learn about this Brewers team over the course of the next three days yeah I really think it's it's this this road trip itself is set up to be pretty important um kind of a you know where the rubber meets the road uh, test you know test case for this team because they have had a lot of wins against teams with losing records, and they've struggled a little bit against teams that have winning records. So the fact that they're on this stretch against these teams, we really should be able to learn a lot. Um, then again, it's only three games against Arizona, uh, and they only play them, I think it's six times, maybe it's seven times this year uh, in the regular season. But it's Arizona is right now 
probably the the class standard of the National League. And they, they got a veteran ball club with just enough savvy and just enough experience to really do some damage, especially with the Dodgers being down, especially with you know uh, Colorado itself being a contender, but San Francisco not being where people thought it would be, even with the additions, they're still kind of finding their way as their starting pitching is hurt. And the Padres, of course, still uh, in rebuild mode uh, year after year. But this Diamondbacks team really does seem to be, like I said, the class of the National League. So if you're able to go in there, and even if you lose two out of three, you know, you are on the road, you are in a hostile environment, even though the team tends to play decently well in Arizona over the years. Um, a lot of guys still live in Arizona, so they can sleep in their own beds at night, that kind of thing, uh, which usually helps. But even if you, you lose two out of three, even if you get swept in Arizona, you want to be able to show competitive games, uh, being able to uh, succeed in most situations, even if a couple of situations do you in as far as the win-loss record goes. Uh, but for the fans' sake, <laughs> the last thing you want is a sweep. The last thing you want is to go, you know, those four games and get swept in Chicago and then go to Arizona, the, you know, the top record in the National League and then get swept three games there too. Um, you'd like to have some success in the, in the wins column. But for me, as long as you're showing competitive baseball and, like I said, you're coming through more often than you're not, then hopefully it's uh, it, it can be more confidence and continue to just roll right along with the, the role that the Brewers are on. I'll finish you off with this and just want to see if you agree with me or not because we're talking about other teams in baseball. I think the National League is just stacked, and I think there's only really four teams in the league that are just not good, and it's the Mets, the Marlins, the Reds, and the Padres. And the other 11 teams in the National League, I think you're the, they could all be contending for one of those wild card spots, and that's going to make things tougher. The, I don't think you can say the same thing about the American League. I think there's a pretty good chance that the way it's sitting right now with Yankees, Red Sox, Indians, Astros, and Angels being the five playoff teams, there's a, probably a 90% chance of it ending that way. Uh, but but the National League just seems wide open with a lot of really good teams to me. Would you agree with that? I do, and, and that's the that's the little bit of the frustrating part as a Brewers fan is because you saw what the, the strides they were able to take last year, you know, win 86 games, really exceed external expectations uh, throughout the entire course of the season. And then you figure you're sitting kind of pretty for this year. You add where, you know, the two offensive pieces, you uh, hopefully get the rotation going, you get Jimmy Nelson back, et cetera. But then all of a sudden these Atlanta Braves are kind of coming out of nowhere now, at least earlier than people expected. And Pittsburgh's not as bad as people thought they might be after they traded off some pieces like Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon. And you've got the teams out west. The Dodgers are scuffling, yes. Um, and, and they may or may not rebound and get themselves into wildcard contention. I'm guessing that they will. But it, at the beginning of the season, off-season type window, it almost seemed like it was maybe – seven to eight teams for, for the five playoff spots in the National League. Um, and now all of a sudden, like you said, it could be as many as as many as ten kind of facing uh, facing each other for those spots and every win can matter. But the I think the July window of not only the the, the All Star break and, you know, the the games that are on the schedule in July and there are some important games in that month, but just the build up to the non waiver trading deadline could be a lot of fun for for baseball this season because you're right and i do agree that the national league does seem to be 
uh, more uh, more balanced at the top, where, of course, the, the American League is uh, top-heavy with the contenders that they have. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, if folks want to follow you, see what uh, you've got going on on an everyday basis, how do they go about that? <coughs> Excuse me. On an, <coughs> on an everyday basis, uh, you just go to at Nation on the Twitter box. Um, I also do a Facebook page where I update less frequently, but more pointedly uh, as far as the lineups and stuff goes. You can find that at facebook.com slash Nation. But um, otherwise, I... Uh, do write on the blog from time to time. Um, got a couple of things in the hopper that I haven't just finished off the way I'd like to yet. So the blog itself is appears to be more stagnant than it is, but that's thebrewernation.com. And occasionally uh, I'm on kind of a special assignment situation this season with Fan Red Sports. Uh, you can find me at frsbaseball.com, uh, my stuff out there. But yeah, if you want to interact and, and just uh, chat up baseball and get my thoughts on a day-to-day, during-the-game basis. Uh, Twitter's the best way for that. All right, Adam, great stuff as always. Thanks for taking some time, and uh, we'll get you back on the program real soon. Looking forward to it as always, and we'll see you at the ballpark. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X Trainings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Right now, we are very happy to uh, welcome in the broadcaster of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the uh, Midwest League single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. It is uh, Chris Marion. First time we've gotten Chris onto the program uh, so far this season. Chris, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing great there, Matt. Uh, team's playing well. Got some good uh, performance by some prospects and uh, still kind of riding the high off of uh, what Freddy Peralta did today. Yeah, let's start with that uh, because Peralta, obviously one of the most fun things about the relationship between the Brewers and the Timber Rattlers is guys play for the Timber Rattlers and then a few years later uh, they're they're playing for the Brewers. It's got to feel pretty cool to see what, uh, what Freddy Peralta was able to do uh, on Sunday, setting a new Brewers record. Yeah, it, it was really amazing, you know, because, uh, you know, Freddie, usually the, the journey is a little longer than two years, but uh, Freddie was with us for uh, the start of 2016, and I was looking at the stats and realized he made it until uh, about uh, late June, early July before he got the call-ups. So um, just what he did with us back in 2016 you could tell he was going to be able to, uh, you know, just keep carrying that along. And, you know, as Lane and uh, and Jeff were saying on the broadcast, every time he got bumped up, there was no adjustment period. He just kept going, you know, putting up the same kind of numbers. And for him to be able to do what he did on, uh, on Sunday afternoon out in Colorado was something special. Look, you've been doing this for a while, and you've seen the guys who um, have made it and the guys who have not made it. Have you gotten to a point where... You are you're pretty good, kind of in those internal predictions on you know what guys have it and what guys maybe are going to come up short of being able to get to the big leagues. Not really. I mean, I'm, I just I get such tunnel vision on how they're doing with the Timber Rattlers. I don't really do a good job of projecting them to big league stuff. Um, you know, I, I think I was talking the other day. I mean. Jacob Barnes was was really good with us, and you, you wouldn't expect him to make the major leagues because he was not one of the top guys on the on the pitching staff that was with us in 2012. 
but to to see what he was able to do once he got out of Wisconsin and and continued to just keep going up the big league level to for him to be able to contribute at the major league level, you know, Jacob's always been fun to watch and he was a great kid and all that stuff. But uh, <clears throat> I, I would not have predicted him to be one of the guys in the Brewers bullpen at this time. As we talk on Sunday night, the Timber Rattlers have won three in a row and eight of their last ten. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. What's been the difference over the last week and a half, two weeks, as those winds have started to pile up? Well, the weather got a little warmer. I think that's the main thing. Um, the, uh, the, the, the offense has kind of been there. The pitching has kind of been there. And the defense has actually been one of the better things about the Timber Rattlers this season. But uh, they were losing some close games. They uh, just kind of got behind the eight ball and playing some really good teams there as well. But uh, one of the things that the, they've also been playing some some teams, uh, they wound up playing the Eastern Division, and they wound up taking nine out of 12 against the Eastern Division. Um, and they were playing teams that were below 500 and uh, wound up playing a Fort Wayne team that has – two players on their team that were born in the year 2000, Matt. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that makes you feel old, it but does. that makes me feel pretty ancient. Yep. So um, the, there were some, they were playing some young teams and some teams that, uh, you know, has some young prospects, and the Rattlers were able to take advantage of that. But the, the, the starting pitching right now has just been outstanding. I mean, every day guys are going five, six, seven innings. Um, quality starts have really picked up. Um, and the offense is coming through with some timely hitting. Um, Juan Gel Segovia has just been on a tear all season long, and uh, to see him do what he's been doing lately, that's great to see. Um, Peyton Henry's starting to come around. Demi Oran Malloy's starting to come around. Um, and I think, it, I think it might be not a coincidence that the weather has actually started to warm up as the Rattlers have started to hit the ball and play a little better. We get a lot. I think most people in Wisconsin are kind of aware of the weather challenges, but we get a lot of people listening to this podcast who are Brewers fans who have been displaced to to other cities. The Timber Rattlers with the with the snow and the cold and having to move games and having to postpone games. It, weather has impacted the Timber Rattlers probably as much as any professional team uh, in baseball. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit all the things that have gone down and what the organization has had to do just to try to get games in? Well, um, it all started uh, in uh, on, on opening day in Beloit. I mean, it was it was probably at 35 degrees, and the wind chill was uh, down there even lower. And we wound up playing. And if it wouldn't have been opening day, we probably wouldn't have played. The next day, the weather was going to be even worse, and they wound up calling the game in Beloit at like uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Which, as you know from your time in the minors, uh, Matt, it's it's almost impossible for something like that to happen. And then uh, you know the Saturday. Afternoon or Sunday or Saturday 405 start and a Sunday 105 start. The Rattlers did play them at home against Beloit, but again, the temperatures were uh, high 30s at game time and had dropped down to the low 30s without the wind chill by the end of the game. And then uh, the team goes on the road to uh, Beloit, or they go on the road to uh, Clinton and Peoria for the week. And on Sunday the 15th, we checked out of the hotel in Peoria. And we got a call from our GM saying, oh, by the way, we're going to get two feet of snow here, and it's probably not safe for you to come back. And if you came back, we probably wouldn't be able to get your guys' cars out of the hotel, out of the parking lot. <laughs> so we wound up checking back into the hotel in Peoria and uh, the, uh, wound up spending 
the off day in Peoria, we moved a three-game series with Kane County down to Peoria because the stadium did get hit with two feet of snow, and uh, it took them at least four days to clear the stadium out and get it ready for when we finally came back um, on the uh, you know the following week. So we wound up staying on the road for like ten days, or two weeks, pretty much. Um, spent ten days in Peoria, and and I like going to Peoria, but I don't really want to spend that much time in Peoria because the only place for me to eat was a pizza ranch, and I put on all the weight that I took off this off season when I did that. <laughs> Um, and on top of that, during that whole stretch, the team had lost 10 straight games. And they lost, I think, about six of those by uh, by five, by a single run. And it was just a frustrating time. But they finally got back at home, and, and the team started playing really well. And, uh, you know, I, the weather is a challenge. Um, I'm getting a little sick of people suggesting, well, maybe you should have just put a, a, a dome on a ballpark because that's not going to happen to the minor leagues. But, uh or play your games at Miller Park, and, and that's kind of tough with the Brewers playing there all the time. But, uh, you know, we, we do what we do, and, you know, the, the once the weather turns around, it, it Appleton is a, is a spectacular place to play. It is. I 100% uh, agree with that. You mentioned Segovia. He's a 402 hitter uh, through the first 30 games. Was this was this expected uh, from, from him? Um, well, it was. Um, I don't think for, you don't expect a, a kid to hit 402 in the Midwest League for over a month, um, but he did hit 381 and won a Dominican Summer League batting title, and uh, you can project that up to be somewhere in the you know 320s at least in the Midwest League level and see that carry on. But he has been on base. Uh, I think his on base streak is now up to 26 games. He has been on base 29 out of 30 games this season. Um, he had his 14-game hitting streak come to an end on Saturday, but he still reached base on a walk, and he was hit by a pitch and scored a run. And um, the, Everybody's been talking about his offense, but I want to talk about his defense. That's what I want to bring up. Last year, he looked lost when he was out in left field, but this year he has played left and center, and he has run down balls this year that um, I he didn't have a chance to make last year. Um and just his development as a player um, from last year to this year is just—it's—it's it's one of the most amazing things I've seen um, in all the all the time I've been with. It's one of the most amazing trends—I um, should say—improvements from one year to the next for any guy that's had to come back and repeat a level. What did he do in the off season to get himself to that point? You know, I talked about it with uh, with uh, the managers and the and the rovers that come in and ask them about it, and they said he didn't really do anything different um he just came back with a lot more confidence this year so he uh you know which i was that confident so um and i could improve that much but the the talent has always been there with him and uh sometimes you just need to know that you can do it i mean he had a great spring training from everything i saw when i was down there and from everything that everybody told me about it and you know, and, and if that's all it takes, sometimes that's that's what you can do to get the job done. The Midwest League is a really tough place for for young players, guys who were drafted last year, spent some time maybe in short season, maybe even spent some time in the Midwest League last year. But that first full season can be so tough for young guys. And a couple of the prospects have gone out to a little bit of slower starts. Let's start with uh, with Tristan Lutz. He's he's hitting 182 right now. Is this kind of what I was just saying? Just the case of a of a guy adjusting to this level of baseball? Well. I would say it's it's a tough 182 
I mean, yes, he has 40 strikeouts, um, but he has hit the ball hard a lot, and there have been a lot of atom balls in there, and that doesn't explain a, a 182. And I, I don't have his, uh, his Babbitt in front of me, but, uh, and, and I don't really know if that could tell the whole story, if it is bad luck or what, but he's hit some really long home runs. The two home runs that he's hit have been no doubters, and uh, he has played some, some decent uh, defense. I mean, there's been a couple of times where he's lost the ball um, with some bad routes, but it, it does take an adjustment time. I mean, I think everybody expected him to um, come in and just start hitting from day one, but sometimes that's just not the case. I think, you know, the, the, the example I always use is it took Monte Harrison two years um, in this league to come back and finally be able to, to play at the level everybody thought that he would. I mean, sometimes it just takes that long. Um, and I don't think it's going to take that long for Tristan Lutz um, because I see what he does during batting practice and I see what he does um, off the ball. So uh, just be patient with him. I mean, I think everybody had him penciled in Milwaukee next year, um, or at least some of the people that I I was reading. I mean, oh, he's going to be in Milwaukee in like two years, but that's that's not going to happen. That's very rare for a position player to be able to do that. K.J. Harrison's another guy. His average isn't where he wanted to be. You look at where he's played. Uh, in April, he was playing a lot of catcher. Now, since then, uh, he's got a couple starts uh, catching since May 6th, but it's uh, more starts at first base. He's DH'd a little bit. Uh, talk to me about him, his story, even from a from a defensive standpoint and also from an offensive standpoint. Well, uh, I think the, the, the reason for the switch is he has been so focused on becoming a catcher because he did not catch in college. And he's put so much work into that that uh, he just uh, it, it's something upstairs right now with him as far as, as being able to hit. Now, I see him in batting practice, and he hits lasers all over the place. And I was talking with some people about him, and he's, they just so it's it's all upstairs. You get in the game, and sometimes it just happens. Now he's had a couple of games where he's gone three for four, three for five. Uh, he's had some doubles. He had a big game on Saturday for the Rattlers where he had uh, he had a sacrifice fly and an RBI double, and everything looked great. Um, he is going to start catching a little bit more. I think they wanted to take a little pressure off of him uh, from uh, from catching and just let him either play first base and, and or DH and, and just concentrate on the hitting. But 44 strikeouts in 91 at-bats, that's, uh, that's an unsustainable rate. And uh, I think that once he gets everything all together and catching, um, it's going to be great because he's a great kid, um, just does, you know, just does some amazing things in batting practice, and it just needs to transfer over to the games. But right now, I mean um, – Peyton Henry behind the plate, he's been doing just great. And I think, uh, you know, he's not going to catch 125 games. That's that's unsustainable at the Midwest League level. But, you know, for the last week, he's he's caught, I think it was five or six games and it was looking pretty good back there. Devin Harrison's another young guy. He seems to be, uh, I believe he's a college kid, if I remember correctly, and that, that translates a little bit better sometimes to the Midwest League. But uh, here's a guy who... He's only committed one error. He's played a lot of shortstop. Has played a little bit of second base. He's hitting close to three hundred. Seems like uh, this guy is having no problem with the league. Yeah, Devin came in last year. He was the sixth round pick out of Louisville, and he had a long season with the Cardinals last year. But he was uh, 
you know, he was a gold, he was the collegiate gold glove winner at shortstop. Uh, Rawlings started handing out gold gloves in college, and he was that guy in, in, in college last year. Came in, and he played some great defense for us last year and, and hit right away, but um, kind of struggled down towards the end. But he's had, uh, he's had a six-game hitting streak. Uh, I think he's had a couple of six-game hitting streaks. Um, he's driven in some runs. He's starting to play a little second base because, as you know, Matt, the Brewers like their minor league guys to show some versatility and be able to play more than one position. And and right now, I mean, he played second the last couple of days with Gilbert Lara playing short. And, uh, you know, sometimes Gilbert will play third and Harrison will bump over to shortstop. And and it's the, the way that he has gone along um, as far as, as Devin Harrison has gone. Um, I think that he's right about where you want a college guy to be coming into this season. One of the pitchers whose numbers jumps off is Michael Peterson. He's got a sub-2 ERA in in eight games. That's not a name that I think a lot of people are familiar with, but uh, it really seems like he's putting together some some solid numbers. He's closed out some games as well. What, 16 strikeouts, only four walks and 18 innings? So those numbers look pretty good for him. Yeah, he was a 2015 draft pick, and, and the thing about him that I heard is he just needed to try to stay healthy. Um, he has good velocity. He's six foot seven, and sometimes those tall, lanky guys, it takes a little bit for them to get all, you know, their mechanics just right. And he started the year with a sixteen and two thirds inning scoreless streak, so he didn't give up a run in his first five appearances, and then he didn't give up a run in his sixth appearance until there were two outs in in the ninth inning of a game that the Rattlers had pretty well in hand. Um, he did get a blown save against Lansing the other night, but Lansing is just an amazing offensive team, and uh, they're they're going to do a lot of that. So three of the four runs they gave up have come in that last outing. But the, everybody likes his velocity, his makeup, his control. Um, he's a little older, being a 2015 draft pick out of community college. Um, so once he gets everything set, I think he could move pretty quickly. The numbers for Dylan File, especially in May, he had a plus five ERA in April. May hits, he's thrown, he's three and oh, point nine oh ERA, twenty innings, has given up just two runs on seven hits, or excuse me, uh, seven runs, only two earned on eighteen hits, with nineteen strikeouts and five walks. Uh, these numbers look like a guy who might not be in the Midwest League for very long. Well, Dylan had a he had a ten strikeout performance. He went eight scoreless the other night against uh, against Great Lakes. Uh, he he and Nelson Hernandez are back to back in the rotation, and they just seem to oh Nelson goes out and throws seven innings, gives up one run. Dylan comes out the next night, throws eight innings, gives up no runs. Um, it, it's just amazing to watch them kind of feed off each other and have have a little competition going between them. Um, but but Dylan, I mean. He's, you know, he's he's a he knows how to pitch. I mean, the velocity is not going to jump off the page at you, but he's got decent control. And I think, like we talked about, the the weather in April kind of threw him off a little bit. But now that he's um, kind of in a zone, his his the thing that he said about his um, his performance the other night against Great Lakes was his curveball finally showed up because it uh, it was a sharp breaking curveball. It wasn't just rolling up there. He was getting guys looking. He was getting them swinging at curves in the dirt. 
And if he can add that that pitch to his arsenal, those numbers are going to be really, really nice. Last guy I'll ask you about, he's the number 30 prospect, according to uh, MLB Pipeline, Carlos Herrera. Prior to his most recent start, he had a sub-4 ERA. It was a 3.80. Struggled a bit recently uh, against the the Lansing team that you talked about. But it seems like overall he's putting together a pretty nice season. Well, um, yeah, he he came into Wisconsin late last year. Uh, he had like a seven-inning complete game, two-hit shutout at Burlington. Um, he right now was he's in a tandem with uh, Bowden Francis, and they're just trying to protect the Herrera's arms and, and and let him build some strength up to maybe get around to being in the rotation at some point. But uh, yeah, Carlos, um, another really confident kid. Um, the 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 performance against Lansing. I'm just gonna. Uh, I think I said at the time, uh, the, like the day after, if you if you treated ERA like uh, you treat judging figure skating and and diving, you throw out the high and the low, mm-hmm. and you take everything else. And I think he'd be just fine with that. And and I think everybody realizes that you know sometimes the ERA at this level isn't going to tell you the whole story. Sometimes it's um, if you're throwing strikes, if you've got command, if you uh, can can you know pitch the way that you know the game plan goes about it, and I think Carlos does all that. And and the other thing too is um, he was part of the, uh, the the Adam Lynn trade with the uh, with the Mariners that brought Freddie Peralta and Daniel Misaki. So I mean, the, I think the Brewers really got a a steal in that offer um, where they got. You know, they they sent Adam Lynn to the the Mariners for three really good prospects, and one who made his point here on Sunday, and uh, another couple that are on the way. All right, you lead me right into it. Let's go back to Peralta for a second. Uh, I know you guys are doing a bit of a, a promotion because of uh, Peralta's performance on Sunday. For folks who maybe want to get out to a Timber Rattlers game, how can they take advantage of that? Yeah, we're uh, we're offering a uh, it's a it's just a flash sale uh, for reserved bleacher seats on Monday between ten and five. The Rattlers play the uh, Beloit Snappers at six thirty-five on Monday night. So between ten and five, if you order online uh, at the box office or over the phone at eight hundred WI Timber and use the promo code Freddy thirteen K, a dollar thirty for reserved bleacher seats for Monday's game against Beloit. Wow, that's pretty good. Buck thirty for seats, not bad. Uh, promotionally, what else do you guys have coming up? Um, well, we've got uh, we've got a Jeremy Jeffress bobblehead coming up. Uh, Je- you know, he was with us in 2010, and and he's just been a, a great. Uh, that's a great story too. I mean, back back and forth between the Brewers, and now really doing a great job at the big league level. And we wanted to recognize him with that uh, with that promotion. So he's another bobblehead. Um, we also have our, uh, on the weekend, it's going to be next Sunday is Bark in the Park, uh, with the, uh, you know, fans can bring their dogs to the ball game, set them up on the left field berm and take in the game with their four-legged friends. Plus next Sunday is our Brewer Sunday jerseys. And I don't know if you've seen them yet, Matt, but the Brewer Sunday jerseys this year are pretty sharp looking with the state of Wisconsin on it and, uh, the TR on the inside. And uh, I think they're, they're some of our better Brewer Sunday jerseys. Last thing for you, if uh, folks want to listen to your broadcast, watch the, uh, the MILB uh, TV broadcast or whatever it might be, what's the best way to go about that? 
Uh, LILB TV, we're on that. Uh, all of our home games are. All home and road games are on the iHeartRadio app and the TuneIn app. And, uh, uh, and some of our games will be on uh, Spectrum Sports down in Milwaukee. In fact, I think Thursday's game against the uh, Beloit Snappers is going to be on Spectrum Sports. Yeah, I just did a Spectrum Sports game the other day, and I got to do a read for your guys' broadcast, so that was good. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. Chris, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you for taking some time, and uh, we'll catch up again here in the next month or so. All right, that sounds great, man. Thank you for the time. Chris Marion joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that's just about going to wrap up the program. Here is what's coming up this week. The next two stops on this three-city road trip, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they will play at Arizona. Monday and Tuesday are both 8.40 starts, while on Wednesday they'll begin at 2.40. Then they are off on Thursday before they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday at uh, Minnesota against the Twins. Friday night is going to be a 7.10 start, Saturday a 6.10 start, and then Sunday's game is scheduled to begin at 1.10. Of course, you can hear all of those games on WTMJ Radio. I do want to say thank you to my guests once again, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and also Chris Marion, the broadcast voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.